Hello and welcome to the Valiant Central Podcast with just Martin this week. On this special episode of Valiant Central Podcast, I am joined by Valiant editor David Menchel and we are going to be talking about Savage. Get ready, the great chat. I got a chance to read the book, so there will be no spoilers, I promise. But that does influence a little bit of what the conversation is about. So take a listen, let us know what you think, and of course, you can find us all on Twitter. Juan is at Collect Valiant. Travis is at The Great Magnet. I'm at GeekFind. The show is at Valiant underscore Central. Enjoy the interview. We'll be back full Voltron on the next episode. Welcome, David. Thanks. Great to be here. Why don't you let us know a little bit about who you are, what you do at Valiant, maybe a little bit of history that you have with the company as well. Sure thing. So I am the associate editor at Valiant Entertainment. Um, I've been here uh, going on three and a half years now. Um, it'll be four in September, which is exciting. Um, I studied um, storytelling, marketing, uh, creative writing, a uh, bunch of different stuff at uh, NYU's Gallatin School of Individualized Study, put it together into my own major uh, that I called uh, Storytelling in the 21st Century. Um, after graduation, I got an internship at Valiant, which turned into a career in editorial. I started at the bottom of the ladder, and I've been working my way up ever since. So that's a little bit about my history, where I come from, and uh, how I sort of wound up at Valiant. And uh, I, you know, it's a it's a dream come true. It's a fantastic place to work, fantastic people there, and I get to help tell these incredible, crazy stories for a living. So it's really, uh, it's it's all you could think of and more. That's cool. I, I knew you went to NYU, uh, but I wasn't aware that you created your own major. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, I, I had originally started out as uh, an English major uh, there uh, at the College of Arts and Sciences, and I kind of decided that the English major didn't really focus on what I was most passionate about. So uh, I transferred internally into Gallatin, where they let you, um, so long as you meet like a certain amount of criteria, uh, you know, per semester, they let you uh, take a bunch of, uh, you know, elective classes and put your own major together, uh, which was a really unique and exciting experience. Um, it was it was uh, very cool to be able to sort of uh, hone in on what I was personally very passionate about and, uh, you know, be able to take classes to help further that and, and push that along. Uh, so I can relate. I was also an English major and uh, never mm-hmm. used my degree. So I'm glad <laughs> that you found a way to make it work for an English major. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, it's um, – <laughs> You know, I the I think that the biggest uh, you know um, joke that people like to tell about college is like you're, you're an English major. What are you going to do with that? So it it was important to me. It was mostly important to my parents, but it was also important to me to um, be able to you know have an answer to that question. It was like, well, well here's what I'm going to do with that, and you know. Yeah, no, that's good, man. Uh, you you <laughs> had it figured out better than I did uh, because I no, started. It's, I, it's I, not well, of better. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, man. I started out as a business major, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, was completely bored out of my mind. Um, in fact, uh, the, the day that I decided to no longer be an English major was 9/11, because uh, I was going to school really? in the city. Yeah, I was going to school in the city, and uh, I was in an accounting class and not paying attention. And then the whole thing happened, and I was like, you know what? I feel like I'm just wasting my time doing this. Um, so I, I had decided to go into education and decided I don't like children enough to do so. So <laughs> I just went with English. And again, never used my degree, but uh, mm-hmm. but but I think the good thing about English is you get like a solid foundation on a lot of things. Uh, yeah, and really, no, you can go wherever it's, you want. Uh, it, yes, it's a great like foundational. You you sort of you touch on the basics of a lot of different uh, 
you know, corners of, of education and um, you're, you're able to really build off of that platform in, in a unique way, like each person unto themselves. So it's, it's certainly, I, I think that it's more of a question of not necessarily using the major um, in a career sense as it is just sort of using it as a stepping stone to, you know, whatever you should arrive to next. It's, yes. it's a good, like, it's a good base platform to work up from. Yep. I like to say that it made me a better person. Uh, maybe not more uh, hireable, but definitely a better person. <laughs> so there's that. Well, that's, I think sometimes that's more important than hireable. So. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Because uh, you kind of do want to hire people that are have good work ethic, for example, right? And I think you can learn that from a major like English that people think kind of dumb in some sense. No, absolutely. And I, I mean, just the the, you know, uh, extent of critical thinking that you're able to embellish on in, in sort of an English classroom and an English setting, it, it's it's like that deep critical thinking that I think is what you're really what you're really walking away with in that sense. Right. Sure. 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 Yeah. So did you did you grow up reading comics? I did. Yeah. What What were some of your favorite things growing up? Uh, I was a DC kid from the start, man. Um, I I my first introduction to the characters was of course Batman the animated series. So I I jumped right into the Bat books. Um, I was reading Justice League, Superman, Flash, Green Lantern. I was really a DC kid. Marvel, um, I kind of came into later in life. Uh, Spider-Man, of course. Um, loved Hulk. Captain America, to this day, uh, my favorite Marvel character. Um, so yeah, th- those were sort of, sort of uh, some of the titles that, uh, you know, those were the, the ones that were important to me, I think. So since Greg's on the line, I'm going to have to ask you, Moon Knight, great character mm-hmm. or greatest character? Oh, uh, Moon Knight is a fantastic character. Um, I think right up there with some of Marvel's greats, I am so excited for the the Disney Plus show that they're working on. Uh, I cannot wait to see that character sort of come to life in live action. Um, I I would rank him um, probably among my top five Marvel characters of all time. All right, see, we can continue this conversation then. Okay. Uh, this this is this is the reason Greg and I get along because we we like the same characters that apparently nobody else likes. Uh, Moon Knight mm. being one of those. And of course, we're going to come back to Moon Knight in a little bit. There is a, a point to me bringing Moon Knight up uh, based on I've, the... I've noticed your segue, but I'll let you get to it. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, you know, let's just get to it now, I guess. Um, you, you've you worked on some interesting titles for Valiant. And before we get to the the uh, book that is is kind of the, the key aspect of the conversation today, uh, what, what was some of your – or one of your favorite books that you worked on for Valiant being there? Uh, as an editor? Sure. Um, I mean, I think that Psylords holds a very special place in my heart. That was sort of the first book I was able to work on um, on my own, uh, sort of free of uh, sort of, uh, you know, playing second fiddle to somebody else. It was a really big step in my career, and I had a lot of fun working on it. Uh, Fred Valente was a fantastic collaborator on that book, uh, along with Renato Guedes on art. Uh, that was by far one of the highlights of my career so far. Um, the Visitor has been a very fun and uh, uh, incredible learning experience working with somebody like Paul Levitz, who is just, uh, you know, one of the industry titans, I think. Um, and MJ came on art on that book. It's uh, really just a powerhouse of, of writer and artist together. Um, Rye has been my favorite Valiant character since before I worked at Valiant, so getting to work on his new series alongside lead editor Lisa Hawkins, uh, writer Dan Abnett, and art from Juan Jose Rip has been uh, also just a fantastic experience. Uh, I cannot say enough good things about all three of these titles. The, the, the cool thing is you're, you're working on some of my favorite characters. So uh, as mm-hmm. Greg knows, Psy Lords has been probably one of my favorite Valiant properties for decades, uh, second to Exo. 
and and I was very excited to see that book come out. I, I really enjoyed the progression of the book. Uh, I do hope that there's some plans to bring that back at some point uh, so we can dive a little bit deeper into that. And you don't have to obviously say yay or nay, uh, but I do hope that's the case. Um, you know, the, the take was different than the original, uh, but there were definitely some things where you could see how the story evolved out of the, the original uh, material. Uh, so I, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, I was actually looking at the list of books that you've done, and I think out of out of everybody that I've talked to, and this is not obviously anything bad against anyone else, but you you definitely seem to have brought some fresher perspective into how some of these books should be uh, presented to the reader. So I want you to give me some some uh, some background on on what your process is in helping create a team develop some of these books. Uh, first of all, thank you so much. That's so nice of you to say. Um, I think that for me, it starts from uh, looking at a way to tell something that you're passionate about. I think as long as there's sort of a passion behind the story that you're telling, everybody from the writer to the artist, colorist, letterer, the marketing team, the sales team, everybody's going to be excited about that book. So you always want to make sure that what you're working on, you, you, never wanna, you never want what you're working on to be a chore. It, it should be something that you're passionate about and excited about. Um, and that, of course, stems from a way to, I think, bring something fresh to the book itself. I think that um, there are sort of – every single story has been told already. Uh, so I don't think it's a matter of coming up with something completely new. What I think people often stress about is how similar stories can be to other stories. And my personal philosophy in terms of that – it's just make sure that you're marrying pieces of stories together in a new way, not necessarily coming at it and trying to reinvent the wheel, because every single story has already been told. So I think that when you look at something like Psylords, you know, we're combining pieces of sort of a prison break story with, um, with a, like a cosmic mythology. We're, we're taking pieces from um, different individual stories and we're bringing them together to create something that feels familiar and nostalgic, yet at the same time, new and told in a way that's fresh and, and introspective and is applicable to sort of the modern sensibilities of, of the people who are reading it. So I think that it's extremely important to, um, you know, as you're creating and developing something, constantly keeping an eye on how you can bring something new and fresh to the table while at the same time, you know, keeping, keeping aware that um, people like certain stories for certain reasons. And playing into those tropes, playing into those reasons that people love stories in the first place, it's not a bad thing as long as you do it uh, well in a way that uh, is, is fresh and new and exciting. Um, does that answer your question? I think yeah, I yeah, no, yeah, for sure. I, I actually have a follow-up on that um, because I'm curious how, how it is that you would find some, some middle ground um, to kind of give existing readers uh, a sense of continuity, which, you know, Valiant mm. fans love their continuity. Right. And yes, if something if something do. doesn't match up, you're going to hear it immediately. Um, mm -hmm. So how, how do you find a balance between that and obviously bringing new readers in? Because as much as it is important to give existing ones something they enjoy so they continue coming back, uh, obviously it's important to bring new readers uh, to keep the industry going, to keep the company going. Absolutely. Um, new readers are paramount to the industry, but at the same time, like you said, we never want to uh, do a disservice to our longtime fans. Uh, we love our fans. They are, they are the lifeblood of, of what we're doing here each and every day. Um, I think step one, as you're working on these characters, you want to make sure that you as the editor are, you know, 
you are as well-versed in these characters as the reader is going to be. Uh, before we start getting pitches in, before we start thinking about anything uh, in regards to launching a new book with pre-existing characters, we always go back and we do a deep dive, a reread of everything that's come before it. We want to respect the continuity and everything that's come before it. We never want to break that. Having said that, we never, at the same time, want to let that continuity get in the way of a new reader jumping on board. So what's going to be really important is that while you're nodding at the past, while you're treating these characters with respect and with respect to what the previous creators have done, you can't be afraid to take big swings and try some, some new angles on old characters because it's going to be that reinvention, that, that breathing of new life into the property that keeps things exciting, that keeps new fans and old fans alike jumping on issue after issue and clamoring for more. Um, so it's, you know, as you said, the middle ground is difficult to come by, but it's not impossible because what you really want to do is, you know, you don't want to disrespect anything that has already happened to these characters, right. but at the same time, you don't want something that, um, you know, some plot point or, or uh, character moment or anything too specific from the past to sort of get in the way of a new reader enjoying it. And as long as you can, uh, as long as you can operate inside that, that thin gray zone, which does exist, I promise. But as long as you can operate within that that gray zone, um, you'll be set. Man, I gotta tell you, I've uh, I've always had a little bit of an issue uh, with like the Stan Lee mentality, right? So Stan Lee always said that every issue should be someone's first issue, right? Like m- meaning it should be ready to be available without you having to go back and read, you know, whatever, ten, twenty, hundred, thirty years worth of book, whatever. Um, and and part of me wants to appreciate that, uh, but I do wonder. Like what that line is, right? Like it seems like a very tough line to to thread, uh, because I think when you have when you have a character with a lot of history and spe- specifically, right, uh, say like mm-hmm. Batman or Moon Knight, for example, um, it can sure. be very tough to acquire new readers. Number one, because chances are it's it's a popular enough character where you maybe don't have as many new readers coming in anyway, but your existing mm-hmm. base is very large. Uh, with Valiant, it obviously is a little bit different. Uh, you guys don't have a giant readership on 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 a lot of the book, and and a lot of the people that continue coming back are existing readers. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, part of me wants to be like, yeah, I agree. And and I, I've had this argument with many friends. Uh, most of them seem to agree with the Stanley thing. Um, just for maybe my particular reading habits, um, I think sometimes that can get in the way. Uh, if that makes any sense, and that's not yeah, you know, detracting I, at all from from editors or, or creative teams or anything doing something new either, uh, because I think there are there's always a way to bring a fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely understand what you're saying. I think that um, you know when you say each comic should be somebody should be able to be somebody's first comic, um, I I think that you know at Valiant we definitely you know, try our best to maintain that approach as well. We, we never want somebody to pick up and, a book and feel lost about what they're reading. Having said that, it's not like we're catering every single issue as if it were right. the first issue of a new arc or a new relaunch. There are a few very important but very subtle things you can do within the first five pages of any comic to be able to set up, you know, and make that issue new reader-friendly. It's a It's a... A checklist that, if you are able to to master it and find a uh, you know a good, subtle, applicable way to include those points in the comic, it's going to make all the difference in the world for a new reader versus an old reader. Um, you want to be able to 
uh, establish who each character is within the first five pages. It, that's as simple as just having a character mention another character by name in you know, passing dialogue. You want to be able to um, just very briefly, very quickly give as much background information, as much context on the situation that's going on at hand. That way, if the characters are in the middle of some kind of war zone, some kind of giant battle that broke out at the end of the last issue, you, know, you, you open that book and you immediately get context for why they're fighting. I think that when you say you want each issue to be, uh, you know, able to be one, a new reader's first issue, um, all that you're saying is that you want to be able to give them the kind of context that they need to easily assimilate into the story and follow it from the beginning of, you know, wherever they're picking it up to the end of it. Um, hopefully in a way that, you know, still makes them want to go back and pick up those older issues even um, once they've, you know, caught up to speed on what's go everything going on currently in the world. Um, but yes, I completely agree uh, with your point as well, um, that you shouldn't let that get in the way of telling the story, but if you can find the right way to you know, marry those points into the story, it's going to make all the difference in the world. Right. Uh, fortunately, this book that we're talking about doesn't have a whole lot of history. Uh, so obviously we're talking about Savage. That's coming out hopefully very soon, uh, if all things go well. Uh, give, me, mm -hmm. give me a little background on how the the process of creating this book came about um how, how did max get involved and nathan and and what was what was it like to go from just the pitch to what you guys have now and for anyone listening i have read an early copy of the book uh this will be a very spoiler free great um yeah so we had been looking to uh work on a project with max for a very long time, actually. Um, we had been in talks uh, about uh, him working on a few different projects for us, and you know everything kind of kept shifting around here and there. Um, finally, we were able to both find uh, free moments in our schedules where we could sit down and really sort of discuss what Valiant needed right now and uh, what he felt his voice would be, you know, best lent to. Um, Savage was ultimately um, the conclusion of that discussion because um, Max is coming from. Uh, just this very fun, weird, um, you know, hyper-violent mentality. And that's exactly what he's bringing to the book here. Um, Savage has been a character that uh, we did the four-issue limited series of a few years back. He's been off the shelves for a while. We felt as a company it was time to bring him back in a big way. We uh, know that the um, fans of the original uh, four-issue limited series had been uh, asking for a follow-up to that. They'd been waiting patiently. Uh, we didn't want to keep them waiting any longer, so it was really just sort of the perfect storm of um, you know, finding a, a writer who we'd been looking to work with for a while, who had a free moment in his schedule, had the right voice for this character, and um, giving the readers something that they were all really looking forward to and asking for. Um, in terms of the pitch process, it was actually unusually smooth. <laughs> what I mean by that is that the story that you're reading is, for all intents and purposes, honestly, mostly what Max had handed in um, very early on in the process. He came in with a very unique take on the character, with a very fun, upbeat, intense, like I had said, hyper-violent story, which I think is very important um, to Savage as a character, uh, based on the uh, original limited run um, you know, there was a lot of bloodshed, a lot of really fun, intense action scenes, so that is all, you know, built into the book's DNA. Um, and we had sat down with that first pitch document, and we had read through it. Um, I showed it to a few of my colleagues just to get sort of some second opinions on it. There were a few tweaks made here and there, um, uh, you know, changes that were made to sort of flesh out characters a bit more. 
uh, make sure the uh, a healthy amount of subplot was introduced as well, um, make sure that every character sort of has their own unique purpose in the story. Because um, you know those first pitch documents pretty much just focus on your, your title character. So right. by the time you get to an outline, you really want to see like everything it, that is going on in, in you know this world sort of breathing uh, life of its own, so to speak. Um, but yeah, it was it was uh, beyond a pleasure to work with Max while developing this story. He was extremely uh, amenable to any notes or thoughts that uh, editorial had on our end. Um, Max himself brought uh, incredible creative uh, you know, thoughts and directions to our discussions. Um, the book really, uh, it was uh, so much fun to work on, such a, a pleasure to be able to create side by side with him. Um, I think that what fans are going to get here is a, a very um, over-the-top, insane, bizarre, weird story um, in the best possible way that I think only a medium like comic books can really bring to life in the right way. I think uh, I think there's some interesting callbacks to uh, that first series, um, and and some callbacks to uh, a character that a lot of folks feel kind of inspired Savage, right? Um, and I, I'm not going to name names because you guys don't own the rights <laughs> to this character, uh, but there's definitely some callbacks towards the end of the issue uh, to that original idea, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, I am curious though, uh, you know, the the story does pick up uh, after. Savage heads back, quote unquote, home, right to Europe, um, mm-hmm. and and him having to to deal a little bit with living in a civilized society as opposed to on an island fighting dinosaur mercenaries. Uh, and and I'm curious how you guys are bringing more of that original feeling of the character, the the, the atmosphere of the character, into this new one, um, because obviously Max is a very different writer than B. Clay Moore. Uh, Nathan is is a very different artist than uh, than Lewis was for that book, um, and and I'm I'm very curious what the reaction will be to this book uh, because I I have read it a couple of times and again no spoilers uh, but this is very very different than that original mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it was it was intentionally you know made that way it's not like kind of uh, like I said a bit earlier in our discussion we we never sort of sit down and want to create something that we've already done. Uh, what was important here, I think, is that sort of the, the spirit and heart and, um, you know, action of the first book is, is alive here. Uh, and I think that that's exactly what we were able to deliver. Um, Savage, the character, um, you know, he's, he's, this story takes place about uh, a year to two years after the events of the first one. It's sort of a clean break. It's, we, we don't, when we sat down and started working on this story, the very first, one of the very first things that Max had sort of said was that he didn't want to tell that story about somebody sort of reacclimating to human society after being, you know, out, uh, out of contact with them for their entire life. He, he didn't want to tell your, your run-of-the-mill sort of George of the Jungle or, you know, Tarzan or something like that. Uh, he was really fascinated in sort of picking up um, after that readjustment had already happened, after whatever occurred to this character uh, upon their immediate return had transpired and they were just sort of now like living in this life and what would that life look like and would they be happy with that life? Um, so the the tone of the book, as you said, it's different. There's There are some comedic elements to it. There's um, certainly um, more of this um, youthful energy about it, I think, yeah, that yeah. the uh, original four issues, um, you know, focused, uh, didn't really have, so to speak. Um, and I think that it's important when talking about that to really sort of analyze um, 
the, the primary differences in the first run versus what we're doing here. And I think that that all kind of stems from the absence of um, Savage's parents in this issue, in these run, this, blah, sorry, in these issues. I think that, um, you know, the first series was very much grounded in uh, Savage's relationship with his mother and how she tried to raise him on the island, how she ultimately, uh, you know, met her end while taking care of him and how he was completely isolated, alone. It was quiet, it was solemn, it was a, a very mature, very different, um, very stoic uh, type of vibe. It, was, it, it fit sort of the, the grave nature of Savage on this island. I think now that we've sort of taken that character, plucked him out of that island, and he's you know, now uh, living, living in London, having reacclimated to human society, it's very much more so told from the vantage point, from the story point of you know, this uh, 17-year-old kid who is um, kind of hailed uh, as, as an abnormality in society. Right. Um, and I, I don't want to you know, spoil or embellish on that um, any, you know, any more than maybe I accidentally <laughs> already have. But um, you know, it's, it's, I think the, the difference, the tonal difference that you're talking about, I think just comes clearly out of um, what the setting is. Yeah. And it's, the, it's a difference between him being isolated and alone versus him now being completely surrounded by all of this unfamiliarity. Um, that he has had to live with for the last, you know, year and a half and um, learn to either love or hate. And I think out of those two situations, uh, the first one definitely tends to lend itself more so to a, a stoic, grave, grim story, whereas this one, while, you know, uh, showcasing the same character, he's just in a different environment. So I think that those environmental differences play heavily into the tone of the story. And once readers get going and they, they you know, uh, get into the story and they see where it's going, they'll understand sort of why it has to be told this way. Yeah, I think uh, I think the the way the story develops is actually pretty interesting, and I, I think some of that may have to do just with Max's like punk rock mentality. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's that's very like it's coming through very obviously in this book. Um, you know, even even from the first panel, which I'm not going to say the the the, the line, um, but you know, when when he's talking about the Zen piece, for example. Um, mm-hmm. that, that kind of, kind of caught me by surprise. I was like, whoa, hang on a second. <laughs> I kind of like my Zen. Um, but it, but it progresses from there and you can definitely see, uh, you know, Savage's attitude in this new place that it seems like he doesn't necessarily want to be in. Um, but also has nowhere else to be, right? He can't just mm-hmm. go back to the island. It's, and so, and so right. that like punk rock mentality really comes through in this. And, and I think, you know, I, I grew up in that same scene, so I'm, I'm very familiar with it. And it, it does lend to a certain type of storytelling, and I don't want to discuss anything about The Last Page, for example, uh, but there's some <laughs> new villains introduced um, mm-hmm. that, that really give you that. Like, that group that we see at the end has this, like, super wacky, like, <laughs> I don't even know, uh, like, punk rocky villain, like, uh, in some ways a little offbeat, like... Maybe getting closer to like what you would see in a Quantum and Woody villain, right? Than than what we got used to seeing in a Savage villain, and so mm-hmm. and so for me that was uh, a little bit of of a shocker to see that difference. Um, it doesn't mean sure. that I I don't appreciate what was seen, so I want to make that clear um, uh-huh. because I definitely see the progression of the story from beginning to end, and I think there's potential. Uh, I, I'm just curious for me how I feel 
with the story going forward. And and I don't know how much you can talk about uh, what the plans are for the evolution of the series. Um, but if you can give me some ideas of where you guys see Savage evolving from this first issue towards the the, the end of the first arc, for you. Um, what what's sure. the plan yeah. from you guys on that? Absolutely. So I think that what's important when talking about Savage's character development through these uh, through this first arc is it's really um, sort of a question of uh, of choice. Um, when we find Savage, he's not necessarily living the life that he would assign for himself. Um, over the course of the story, he's going to meet a lot of different people who want him to be very different things. Um, eventually, Savage has to sort of um, stake a claim on his own life, and he needs to sort of take control, take the reins for himself, and decide what kind of person he wants to be in this new world and how he's going to live his life in this new world instead of letting other people make that decision for him. Um, so I think that from a character perspective, that's certainly uh, going to be his transformation. It's going to be his arc over the course of this story. Um, just to backtrack a little bit to what you had mentioned about the, the you know, villain, quote-unquote, introduced um, yes. <laughs> at the, the very end of the issue, um, which, which may, you know, hypothetically speaking, of course, um, <laughs> But uh, the reason, there's actually a very interesting and very specific reason why uh, you might be picking up on some more sort of Quantum and Woody-esque vibes with that villain versus, you know, what you might expect out of a typical savage villain. Um, and it has to do, again, sort of with uh, character and what we felt would be best to sort of pit Savage up against. Because Savage himself, he's a very stoic, very, uh, you know... Uh, he, he uses grunts instead of words. He's um, not exactly uh, what you'd call, um, you know, uh, light or, or you know, uh, he wears the weight of the world on his shoulders at all times. He's, he was not an English like major. A, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he's a preteen Batman in training. Yes, yes, yes. So, oh, I like that. That's, that's good. Yeah, okay. So he, to pit him up against a villain who perhaps is a bit more comedic, who is... A, who doesn't take themselves so seriously, who is sort of a bit more go with the flow than he is necessarily. It provides for some very fun, very interesting character development, character choices that we get to make with him along the way in the journey. Um, so it's good that you picked up on sort of the, the surprise, and I understand the surprise, uh, in seeing sort of that choice for the villain. Uh, but it all comes together. It, it's all been, you know, uh, forecasted in this specific way so that we can give Savage sort of the, the best challenge for himself. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm, I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, you know, without going into specifics on, on the book, uh, when, mm -hmm. when Max was announced as the writer for this book, uh, I was happy and unhappy at the same time. Um, Interesting. Because, well, you know, I mean, Moon Knight, right? Well, it, Moon Knight, exactly. So, uh, you know, I I was a little bit older when, when his music was coming out, but I, I was a fan, big fan of his music. And and mm -hmm. so I, I've been familiar with Max for a long time. And when he when he made the jump into comics, I was excited to to see what was up. Uh, but then you know we had his Moon Knight run, which was interesting, uh, but to me didn't feel like Moon Knight. And and I think partially for me, uh, what I'm going through now, having read this first issue, um, is mm -hmm. is placing the book separate from the writer and and my past experience with the writer. If that makes any sense. Um, yeah. No, I I get that. Yeah, so so I, I just want to make that clear. Um, I know I've had a lot of people sending me messages asking me what I think of this because I I was very vocal uh, when when he was on on Moon Knight, and uh, I I always give books the benefit of the doubt, you know, because you you have to judge 
uh, a work of art just based on itself, right? You can't just base it on whatever. Whatever. It's, you don't like one Da Vinci painting, you hate all of them, right? That doesn't make any sense. Um, right. So I, I do hope that as the series progresses, we we do get to see a lot more of how this world works, because really that's 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 what I'm interested in, right? I think the mm-hmm. the world of that first miniseries was very different than anything Valiant was putting out, and and I wanted to see more of it. And now we have this character who is roughly the same, placed in this entirely different environment. And and so I mm-hmm. want to see, well, how does this fit in to what we've seen before, right? Um, and this is why I wanted to have the conversation previously about kind of how we see all these books kind of fitting in as you guys develop further and further continuity. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think for, for a lot of folks, that does end up being important. Yeah, yeah no, I, I mean... Look, continuity is extremely important, and like I said earlier, we always want to honor what's come before. We never want to be disrespectful to the previous creators, to the work that they've laid down, to you know the histories of these characters. Uh, it's the most important thing that there is, I think, yeah. uh, to to be respectful to you know these characters and what they've been through and who they are and what they've done. Um, having said that, I can assure you that um, we certainly, uh, you know, beyond issue number one, probe farther into sort of uh, what that island was, uh, the events that occurred there, the kind of threats that it, it uh, housed there. Um, the, I, I can't spoil anything for you. I, I don't want to you know, give anything away uh, because I want you to be able to enjoy it as you read it. But um, the uh, you know, hypothetical villain that is hypothetically met at the end of this hypothetical issue, <laughs> um, they, you know, uh, they're after Savage for a reason, obviously. And um, the the threat that arises in that first issue, the the chaos that ensues, uh, it all ties back to sort of what that island was and and how it can be used in uh, you know more of a evil way, I'll say. So nice. um, the the mythology breakdown and you know more information on on the island, um, it it all comes back. It all it all comes together. We're not. We're not ignoring what has come before by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we are simply just, you know, uh, telling, un- unraveling a story um, that we really hope you guys will all love and come along for the ride on. And if you were a fan of that first series, um, you know, it's it's going to uh, scratch all those itches and answer a bunch of the questions that you might still be holding on to. Nice. Uh, how'd you guys yeah. get uh, Nathan on the book? Um, so Nathan, uh, we reached out to after um, we sort of read the first script and we um, had a, a good handle on sort of the, the comedy and uh, uh, sort of youthful energy that Max was writing and going for. Um, Nathan had worked on a series called Spidey uh, for Marvel, which was, you know, obviously teenage Peter Parker in high school. Um, it was more so a uh, coming of age Spider-Man story, I think. Um, and um, he was able to really capture um, a youthful energy. He had great facial expressions in that book. They were the kind of pages that if the, uh, if the art uh, was all that there was to it, if there was no dialogue whatsoever, you'd still be able to follow the story, which is you know, the, the sign of, I think, some of comics' best uh, yeah. artists is when you're able to do that. Um, so uh, Nate is also a huge monster fan, which uh, certainly you know helps to check off sort of other boxes on that <laughs> that uh, priority list for us. Yeah. So we sort of had a, a fun, youthful energy. We had somebody who loved drawing monsters, coming up with with weird, you know, uh, strange creatures to populate pages and laboratories and cities with. Um, 
sort of mix all that together with um, his, uh, you know, uh, fast-moving, expertly uh, choreographed fight sequences, uh, it was just a no-brainer to, to bring him aboard and, and put him on the book. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the art quite a bit, actually. Uh, I, I'm i not a huge Spider-Man fan, so I, I did not read that series, but I was uh, familiar with Nathan's art, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it really fits the the atmosphere of the story very well uh like it's it's so dynamic and like he does some crazy stuff with the character um, yeah one of my a... favorite pages um in in that first issue is uh i i don't want to go into too many specifics but it's in the middle of sort of the chaos that that ha- goes down in the city and you just sort of get this one shot of savage sort of simultaneously fighting a bunch of the the monsters that are there uh you have him sort of leaping around in in different positions and you know, I, Nate just draws that so crisp and so crystal clear that although there are multiple savages in that one panel, like it's never confusing what's going on. It's it's you're you feel as though you were just right there in the middle of the action with him, and it's it's you know he's doing a fantastic job on this book. Yeah, I agree. the uh, The second page where uh, where Savage is coming down with his blade, uh, mm-hmm. and he's just got this like crazy anger in his face, but you can tell he's enjoying what he's doing. Uh, when yep. I saw that page, I was like, okay, like I'm I'm not worried at all about the art in this book. Uh, <laughs> and then you're right. When I saw that that action sequence at the end, it was uh, it, it was insane. He he's incredible. Yeah, no, uh, he's obviously very down. different, very different for Lewis. Uh, but it it mm. fits what Max is doing here. Yes, and that that was the number one priority. I think was to you know make sure we we married this story with an artist who would absolutely you know bring its its sort of personal uh, tone and touch to to, you know, realization. Um, one of the very first days that uh, we were working with Nate on the book, um, I opened my inbox one morning and uh, he had sent me um, all of these, like, five or six, maybe even seven pages of just these monsters, de- these monster designs. Um, and it was, uh, it was like looking at, um, what did I write him back? I said, this is like looking at uh, Pokemon that were designed by Tim Burton. They were... <laughs> So just unique and creepy and cool. The uh, it, it you know we are finding a way to sneak each and every one of those into the book, um, and it's it's going to be a real blast to watch Savage chop all of their heads off. <laughs> I love that. That that's a great analogy. Um, all right, I I don't have much else uh, to ask you about this book, but I I was curious if you could give us comic fans uh, a little word of encouragement. Uh, just in general, uh, you know, I think everyone's a little weird right now. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, new comics not coming out. Uh, well, give give us some words of encouragement on on how you see the the future of things uh, for comics. Sure, sure. So obviously, right now it's it's a really weird time in the world. I think you know, beyond in the grand scheme of things, sort of beyond comics, what's important right now is that we're all taking care of each other. Um, having said that, every single step that Valiant is taking, every single step that the industry in general is taking, is to assure that while there might not be new comics this week, while there weren't new comics next week, hopefully, you know, next week or the next week or the week after that, there will be new comics again. It's, it's an inevitability. It's not a matter of if, but when. We're actively assessing the situation every single day. Our sales and marketing teams uh, meet literally every morning going over new information, looking at the changing landscape. Um, it is an inevitability that comics will be back bigger and better than ever. Um, this industry has uh, survived, you know, this long, well past sort of um, 
I think anybody's, you know, initial uh, idea for how long this could really go. Uh, I think that, you know, a, a bunch of critics from, you know, the comics early days might be like rolling over in their graves right now saying that this is still going on, really. But um, comics has survived much worse than this, I think, uh, you know, through wars and a bunch of other world terrors. Uh, we always come back to story. I think, you know, in times of hardship, in times where, where we need a little guidance, where we need a little encouragement, it always comes back to some form of escapism, something where you can read it and or or watch it, anything really. Just so long as you have some form of story, some form of media for you, that you can you can put your attention into and it'll make you feel better. Um, I think at the end of the day, that's that's exactly what anybody in this industry is aiming to do with the content that they're putting out. It's just there to help you guys, the readers, you know, feel better about things. So you know. Comics, Valiant, it's not going anywhere. Um, it's not a matter of if, but when comics comes back and it's, it's going to, the reemergence of everything is going to be huge. Um, it's just a matter of waiting this out and making sure that the people in our lives, the, the industry, the companies, that they're taking care of themselves and doing what they need to sustain. So that, that way, you know, when, when, we, when Diamond starts shipping again, when we're finally able to start putting out all that content again, um, it is there for you and it's ready to be, uh, devoured by everybody, by every single hungry fan who's waiting for it. Um, I hope that that wasn't. I hope that that. I feel like that maybe towed the line between like being being grim and being optimistic. But <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, that's it's great to be optimistic, but you also need to be realistic as well, you know. Uh, exactly. And I think exactly. it's important to realize that, like, you know, support this as best as you can, uh, in the hopes that we can continue to have nice things. Um, mm-hmm. I, I did have one curious question. I, I've talked to a few of the editors over at Valiant, and, and I've never asked this question. Uh, so I'm mm-hmm. going to toss this out to you just to, to brew in the back of your mind. Uh, but have you have you guys ever considered uh, – the copy that I read was uh, just black and white, right? So just inks. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know the preview pages are in color. Have you guys ever considered doing uh, some artist out of curiosity where it's just basically um... a black and white? Yeah, I mean, it's a conversation that uh, we have had before. I think that if memory serves, we actually did do a black and white version of, um, I want to say Bloodshot Salvation, number one, back when that came out. Uh, That was the Rampage edition, I believe. Um, So it's, it's, you know, it's definitely something that um, we love doing, uh, that we'd love to do more of. Um, you know, whatever whatever sales and marketing tells us is possible. <laughs> we'll, we're, we're all for it and we'll do it. Fair enough. I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, David, I'm going to let you go. I, I thank you for your time. Uh, I, I, hope, I hope people will, will enjoy this. Um, again, it's a different take. And, you know, I, I had a conversation with somebody and I said, you know, I'm not sure if this is 100% for me. I'm, I'm going to read it and I'm, I know I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, but the the thing that I found was I think I might actually be able to get my kids to read this as well, um, which doesn't happen very often. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I've tried to do it with some of the other Valiant books and uh, it doesn't always work out. Uh, I know Faith, like my kids love Faith. I was not a big fan of Faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to uh, get my kids a little into Quantum and Woody. Uh, my oldest is, is 16. So she actually enjoyed Dr. Mirage quite a bit. Um, but But I think... The cool thing about this book is that it do, it does tow a very interesting line uh, in terms of demographics, uh, and I'm curious. Yeah, I, I hope this brings new fans in, for sure. um, and I think yeah, it does I mean, have potential that, to doing that. The um the inspiration for that was something like Batman the Animated Series, which I know I spoke about 
earlier um, as sort of part, of part of my inspiration to be here in the first place. But, yeah. you know, something like that that adults and kids could both enjoy together, it's, it's absolutely a, a tone that we tried to pull off with this book, and I, I hope we did. Uh, you guys will have to be the judge of that. But, um, <laughs> you know, we, we wanted to uh, – because we, we, Valiant has the greatest, most loyal fans in the world – um, and we want to keep growing that family. And the best way to grow that family is to have those loyal fans who are now, you know, older with families, being able to share Valiant Comics with, you know, those aforementioned families. Um, so being able, so bring a tone and a vibe to the story, like you just mentioned, was absolutely uh, intentional. It was something that we wanted to, you know, make sure we we provided because. Um, you know, we want as many people as possible to enjoy reading these books, and it's, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, if you can get a fan when they're young, you're a fan for life. For sure. So that's kind of what we're aiming for here. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, again, yeah. thank you for your time, David. It, it was a pleasure. Absolutely.